Welcome, everyone. This is Sasha on Moving Mountains. Today's guest is Kelly Mitchell, an entrepreneur, author, podcaster, and a very intellectual commentator that picks the interests of those craving knowledge in all aspects of life. Kelly shares her intimate and provocative thoughts on her blog, MusingAroundLV.com, which explores the realm of human behavior, culture, society's infrastructure, and lifestyle musings. Her book, Clap If You Me and Tour of Insanity, highlights her love for research and being a lifelong learner as she continues to educate and entertain her audiences with the latest projects to be announced. As the host of the podcast, Playing Devil's Advocate, she brings her sense of humor and relatable references to connect with audiences. Learn more about Kelly by visiting musingaroundlv.com. Welcome to Moving Mountains, Kelly. Thank you very much. So how has the year been treating you so far compared to the prior year? Well, um, in some ways, it's been kind of, um, you know, watching another year saying, here, hold my beer. And (laughs) in in other ways, it's been really uh, a learning experience. It's been really good. I'm sure it has provided a lot of material because you are an author and a podcaster that shares all types of messages with audiences. Yes, it has. <laughs> um, just watching the, the things roll across, you know, politics and people's experiences and so many people entering the gig economy, it's been interesting. So as we delve into your work, which is presented on newsingaroundlv.com, would you like to share with audiences a little bit about how life started out for you and how you ended up working in the craft that you're nurturing at the moment? Oh, sure. Um, well, uh, I guess everybody's got their story. Um, but mine, I, I kind of grew up with a, a young disco bunny mom and a really rocker, biker kind of a dad. So it gave me... Um, a kind of a dual perspective. And then I went from the, the country and I moved to the city, which was culture shock all by itself. Um, and since my parents didn't have any college, they really, really wanted me to go to college. Um, but writing was my first love. And of course, everybody was saying at the time, there was no internet or anything. So there was no money to be made in it. And that was not an approved career course. Um, so I went into uh, psychology and then ended up in criminal justice. And I absolutely love forensic psychology and the criminal mind. Um, Maybe I can relate. I don't know why. (laughs) Um, Through all my life, I just, I mean, I wrote when things were going good. I wrote when they were going bad. Um, I wrote songs. I wrote poetry. I wrote short stories. And it always made me feel good. And the analytical end of the criminal justice really kind of helped me um, as far as critical thinking and kind of looking at things differently along with my, my country city kind of background. And it really helped me in business because I owned an HOA collection company. And so I talked to people from every type of walk of life. Um, you know, everybody owns a home or everybody um, works for HOAs. And 
it was intriguing to me. And um, when COVID came along and that kind of shut down, um, I went right back to uh, my writing and found out that I was able to discuss things across a diverse population. And I brought laughter and I just love it. That's kind of how I fell into it. So you and I have an overlap because I've also contributed my abilities in the criminal justice field. So in your opinion, do you believe that there is a form of criminal in each one of us that can be triggered, but perhaps we don't know it? Oh, I'm sure most of us know it. Um, you know, maybe maybe not come to terms with it. <laughs> but, yeah, I do believe that, you know, I, I believe people have good intentions. And then I think it's life experience that kind of leads you one way or the other. Um, you know, um, like if, if you're a, for example, if you're a, you're a teenager that's, that's truant and runs away from home a lot, um, there's not really a system there that, that deals with the underlying cause, and so you're thrown in with more advanced criminals. That's your experience. That's the way you're going to go. So I think it really matters on what kind of resources are there for who and what kind of experience you have for who you're really going to end up being. In your works, what I appreciate about you is that you cover all types of lifestyle topics. So it could be from the history of sex toys to the sex dolls companion. That article really entertained me because I don't know if you came across this a few years ago. There was a British documentary that follows about three, four men who gave up on women in dating and they took on this lifestyle where they date their sex dolls and one of them actually ended up marrying them. I don't know how that works, but <laughs> that's one of the realities of life. And I like how you introduce people to outside the mold. And in your opinion, how would you define provocative thoughts? Because I view it as a reality check. I, I agree with that 100%. Um, you know, I, I just, especially, and I think that the internet and these fantasy games, I think they play such a huge role because a lot of people don't want to dip back out of them, you know, into reality because they're so much more appealing um, going into it. And on the Internet, you can be a keyboard gangster, anybody that you want to be. So you can live two lives completely separate, um, you know, one within the confines of what's good social norms and then the other on a game, you know, you, you can um, be whatever you want to be. So I think, I think there's a lot of things that are translatable skills in games, but I think that's also an escape where we can go is the, is the internet and fantasy to kind of get away from what we really can't do in reality and use it as a relief. You also take pride in doing a lot of research. Are there any topics that you are immersed into at the moment? Oh, so many. Um, I mean, I've got probably about five books going in my head. Um, one you know, and, and some are simple, like, like home design, where I think things could be better there. Um, another thing is I want to call it, you know, offended. And it's just all things that we really shouldn't be offended by. Like, um, I forgot who it was, but there was a British gentleman on, and he did a small YouTube, and it was a video about how he was, he was scared to order a skinny latte from you know, Starbucks, because then he'd be like fat shaming. I mean, it's just these little itty bitty things that why do they have to be so big and so blown up out of proportion? So that's kind of another thing that I want to address. And, um, and yeah, some of the, the criminal justice system and po politics. And, I mean, we all wear so many hats every single day that 
I just feel like I have to address everything. But it's also exciting because you could tackle many topics from many different angles. Now, talking about being offended, not that anyone wakes up with the intent to hand out offenses. People take them at their own uh, discretion. Do you believe part of that is because as a society, we're breaking down and people need to grow a thicker skin? I do and I don't. I think it's because we've forgotten about community somewhere. Um, and I'm not exactly sure that how that happened, but you know, back in the day when we had to deal with the community and we did community service projects and you know, we would deal with people from all walks of life, which kind of gave us some intelligence, emotional intelligence and cultural intelligence to kind of understand where people were coming from. And we weren't so scared of religion either. Um, I think that religion has a place across all countries um, to learn about it because it influences politics. It influences how you behave. It influences education. It influences everything. So I think we need to have an understanding. And I'm not saying, you know, in school to adopt one and to preach one. I'm saying to learn about it. Hindu has, has been around for, you know, what, 3,000 years now? And it influences how people act. And I think you have to have an understanding of that. And the best way to get an understanding of people is working through civic duties, service learning, and things like that, you'll, you'll take away skills from that and you'll learn how to navigate people without having to cancel them or silence them out. I mean, you have to be able to, to operate with people, to collaborate with them. What do you feel is happening to the comedic realm? Because in your writings, I appreciate your humor, but some people are losing a sense of humor because of the offensive mantra. <laughs> I think, and I think people are just scared to talk. I mean, anymore. I think people would find more humor if if they could relax a little bit about it. You know, um, you know, comedians used to to get on stage and, and tackle every topic. I mean, George Carlin is one of my favorites. He he attacked everything, and it was it was taken with a great assault. It wasn't meant to attack one person. It was just meant to be funny. Um, and I think people are they're, they're scared and they're and they don't know what's going to happen and so they kind of withdraw into themselves because they don't want to offend everybody and that way nobody can be funny and it just it kind of kills the moment it kills conversations. I was just going to reference George Carlin and whether you think that comedy will return to that point ever. Uh, ever, <laughs> I, I I love to have hope. I really do. Um, but I think really that the, the educational system has to change. I mean, it's not going to happen with my generation or my parents um, and probably won't even happen with younger generations. But I think it can if there's educational reform to, to match more the education to the student and not the student to the education and allow a little bit more freedom and creative freedom and for collaboration. It's, it's just going to take a monumental change for that to come back. And that is discussed in your book, Clap, if you hear me. What motivated you to write that book? Is that the parent in you that wanted to write or the writer? It, it was a combination of both. I mean, I've worn, I'm, I'm a forever learner, so I'm always going back to school, you know, and I'm always seeing what they're teaching. So I've been on the inside of the desk. I've also been on the outside as a teacher um, teaching continuing education credits. I've also been an employer and most definitely a parent, which is why I was concerned and wanted to write about it. I saw um, some of the things that, that were being introduced to my kids in school, 
and it just it floored me <laughs> a lot of it and I thought you know I don't really think that's relevant I don't think it's going to go anywhere um, and so I felt the need to start kind of addressing those situations with statistics and reports and studies that are really happening and I'm a realist so I can see this is what's really happening and we're not even close to addressing it. When you go about your writing projects, what is the average time frame that it takes from con- conceptualization to launching your book? Uh, well, let's see. My first book when I decided to write it, it took me about two months. And then three months later, I released uh, Clap If You Can Hear Me. So when I'm committed, I kind of I zone in and I don't really sleep and I live on coffee and gum. And just I kind of trill and, and get it and get it done. Um, so, and, you know, sometimes I have my off periods. Like right now I'm focusing more on, on the blog, but I, I'm still going to go back to the book. It's just I love the research, but I have a problem staying focused in the research because the research will lead you to another question and then another question. And then sometimes you have to get, you know, reel that in to get back to the relevance of the heart of the book that you're doing and not write a completely separate issue. Do you have a PhD by any chance? Because I could picture you with two, three PhDs. <laughs> no, I don't. I mean, <laughs> I, 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 I take on so many topics that I, I wake up with certificates and, and um, you know, bachelors and, and associates, and, but I never really went after the whole, the whole PhD thing. I don't think my attention span will hold out. And from the writings that you've shared thus far, which are the ones that invite a lot of people to comment and engage you, whether it's in a healthy debate or them sharing their perspective? Um, I generally get a lot more comments on social media and not so much the website itself. And it's people usually asking me to research something. And um, I've had people ask me, to research, you know, uh, sex and the ADHD correlation, and they got that from my history of sex toys. And then I've had other people ask me to research um, how the government is kind of like taking over control, and so I did like a narcissist relationship kind of a thing, you know, to, to spin some humor into them. And that's what shocked me was that it was so, I mean, the, the topics are polar opposite. But it was the same people intrigued in both things. And I'm like, you know, we really, we really focus on variety in our life. We really want to learn a little about everything. And that was the most amazing thing to me, that the audience is just so diverse and so multi-topic. You also are the host of the podcast, Playing Devil's Advocate. And I enjoyed uh, the segment where you talk about talking to the hand. And I started laughing because I didn't realize it emanates all the way back from that sitcom, Martin. My sister would watch it all the time. And that was such an innocent phrase that would get people laughing. But nowadays, we're telling people to talk to the hand in a very more, I would say, overt way by the cancel culture. Yeah, it, it kind of went professional, didn't it? <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I mean, it used to be just, you know, comedy and just funny and something you would say. And, you know, you'd take it with a grain of salt when somebody told you that. But now it's, it's a dagger. And... I, it saddens me that, that people will just cancel other people out of their lives, I mean, from celebrities to friends. You know, if you hang around like-minded people all the time, you're never going to challenge what your argument is. Um, and a lot of times you don't even know what you're fighting for. So, you know, I, I don't think that opinions 
you know, or how people think are a threat to how you think, I think it's an opportunity to grow and to learn and to collaborate. And you can't just cancel people out. It just life does not work that way. As a public personality, since we've been sharing your work, has your relationship with your friends and family evolved with the type of topics that are entertained? <laughs> Very much. I mean, my brothers and sisters probably um, – <laughs> I don't think they were aware what actually, you know, occurs in, in my marriage or in my, you know, my relationships with my kids or much less, you know, sex toys. It's just things like that, you know, you don't talk around, you know, Thanksgiving dinner. Um, so they're, they're getting quite a bit of new insight about me and things that they didn't know about me. And they've become quite accepting of the whole thing, which is, it's just moved me. So I think we've, we've grown a lot in our relationship. In sharing your story, you referenced that you started out in Nebraska, but then eventually after meeting your life partner, you guys ended up in Las Vegas. What was the biggest culture shock for you, that one thing that left you speechless? <laughs> I mean, the biggest thing really was I mean, I thought I would find no sense of community out here. I, I really didn't. Um, you know, growing up in a small town, everybody knew everybody. Everybody knew my business. I couldn't get away with anything. And I thought there is no way Las Vegas with its transient nature and, and everybody coming in and out and the, all the gambling and, you know, it's called Sin City for a reason. I wouldn't think I would find community here, and there really is. It's a lot like a small town when you move outside the Strip, and that was just, it was amazing to me. In terms of social culture and lifestyle choices, are there any ideologies that you held on to when you started out and over the, let's say, the last 10, 15 years, your stance on those topics have evolved? Mm, Yeah, and I'd I'd have to point back to education again. Um, You know, in school, I used to sit and say, well, I'm never going to need geometry you know, um, and I'm never going to need that or that because I'm going to be a writer, so I don't need to learn math. And (laughs) unfortunately, you really do need to learn those things um, because life skills are much more important than I gave them credit for. Um, You need to know how to do your taxes. You need to know how to budget. If you don't have good credit, you're paying thousands of dollars more for things than you should. I mean, it's all that stuff that I kind of sloughed off when I was younger that I hang on to very vigilantly now. Um, So I think that had a lot to do with being a parent. I mean, all of a sudden you care about so so much more more things. Um, And the things that you didn't think were important, like family, community, you know, education, now it's essential. On the Sasha Tuss platform, we also focus on self and professional development. So while you have many inspirations and distractions circling you, how do you maintain your inner peace? You know, for, for a writer, it really never stops. Um, I mean, everything that I see, every conversation I have, everybody I know, they're most likely going to end up in a book or a blog somewhere. It's going to happen. Um, I'm either writing or I'm thinking about doing it. But um, I do like to go uh, and travel, but that's kind of been put on the kibosh. So (laughs) I've been taking um, my ATVs out and riding those. And so that kind of, I love putting the pedal down and just letting her go uh, out in the desert. (laughs) That sounds fun. And also you're at a great location to entertain that. As a writer, is there any topic that you would not touch upon? If so, what would be the reason behind it? You know, I can't think of a one. I, I think 
I think every topic needs to be um, maybe not comfortable, but at least breached. Um, I just I I don't like being told there's not a button I can't push. You know, it's the same way like when I'm waiting in the doctor's office and they say don't touch anything. I can't help myself. It's just you know, <laughs> I I don't like confinement like that. So I'd want to say there's no topic that shouldn't be discussed. And when it comes to humor. How would you describe your humor? The humor is really on, on, the, on the sliding scale. That, that's where you find it. Things that, are, that used to be relevant um, but maybe are not relevant anymore and the reasons why we still do them, that's what cracks me up. It's that sliding scale of relevance where I find the humor. Um, so, you know, like, um, like in, we'll say, rugs and bathrooms. Uh, that used to be a thing. It used to be a big thing. Um, and some people, some people still did it. And basically it was after the war, people could afford carpets. Um, and so uh, that's what I saw in houses growing up. And you don't put them in kitchens and bathrooms because the mold, right? So right. when some people still do it, it just, it's one of those things where the relevance isn't there anymore. And that's where the hu- that's where you're going to find the humor is, you know, back in the day we did this and, and this, these are all the reasons why we shouldn't, and that's what cracks me up. And humor is also a beautiful bridge that brings people together, but it also kind of offsets a barometer when things get too tense. This, I believe that people should be able to laugh at themselves because life is short. All the time. Yeah, laughter definitely, it brings the defenses down. Like if, you, if you're having a fight with somebody and you can make them laugh in the middle of that, the defenses go down and automatically are not feeling that tension anymore. And it's just, it invites conversation. So I definitely agree with that. Because you also engage in healthy debates with audience members, are there any topics where you surprised yourself and you realized I have a lot to say about this? <laughs> um, yeah, quite a few actually. Um, when uh when I was asked to write the, the narcissistic government thing, it, it amazed me some of the things that have been done in the past because I just think things, I was like, oh, there's, there's just no way that would be possible. Somebody would say something. You would be amazed how many people don't say something. Um, and once I learned that, I, that's, those are the kind of topics that I wanted to go after, the topics that they, they don't say anything. <laughs> and it's just, it's not what you expect. So, yeah, there's, there's a lot of topics out there that I've, I've completely changed my mind on and have changed my view of my world, like a lot. Are there any types of people or interests that you typically would not gravitate towards while growing up, let's say, for example, in Nebraska, that you would be completely open to now, that anything is game for you? Yeah, you know, um, when I was growing up, there, I didn't, I didn't understand um, a lot of sustainability uh, issues, which is, is probably surprising since I come from farm country. Um, but, you know, it was, it was also uh, hard. Um, you learn fast, you know, because your animals would die or things would happen. And so you never really thought about breaching um, topics of bereavement and how you get over things like that. You know, you just you don't talk about it as I grew up. And now I'm noticing there, there's an importance for that. A lot of people don't know how to to move beyond it and just still keep it with them. So I'd say that's probably the, the biggest topic that I didn't talk about then that I would talk about now. 
And you also happen to be a proud gamer, which I found to be very entertaining because <laughs> working in corporate and different commercial sectors, the gaming industry is always booming. Who introduced you to gaming? And I'm sure you're playing to this day. I am playing to this day. And <laughs> it's, I've always had so much fun with it. Um, but the introduction, it's, you know, gamers used to be somebody in the basement that would, you know, you, you'd think of a long-haired guy screaming at his mom for more meatloaf. And that's, it's just not that way anymore. I mean, there's, there's professionals that game and CEOs and owners of companies. And, you know, it's very strategic and you learn a lot of leadership skills. And there's actual game theory and game psychology that you can apply to businesses as translatable skills. Um, so the, the type of gamer that we have now is I'm, I'm constantly networking outside of the game with them, which I think is, is huge and, and interesting. And, um, but yeah, I've been, I've been gaming for years, and it all started pretty much when I was bored. Um, I'd be in the courthouse, and I'd log on to a mobile game as I'm waiting for my name to be called for a deposition. <laughs> And I'd be playing my game, and then I'd find out that I was disappointed when they called my name, and I was like, oh, oh, this is an addiction. So <laughs> I, uh, I fell in love with it from there, and I wanted to harness that addiction and throw it into a workplace to see if I could get, you know, employees to get addicted and, you know, in what they were doing and in their, in their workplace and in their jobs. And, and it, really, it really blossomed. It paid off. And it really does help with critical thinking skills, as you mentioned, because I used to be a Tetris junkie. <laughs> it's amazing. All games do that, yeah. And you touch upon the business world, and you happen to be a successful businesswoman. What are some business skills that you acquire through taking risks and going out and making things happen? As far as making things happen, I would just say I lost, I lost the ability to be – to be shy. Um, Paul Coelho, he has this quote where writing is a socially acceptable form of being naked. And if you think about it, it's, it's kind of deep, you know. And I decided when I, I, I wanted to start being naked. I wanted to be authentic. I wanted to be real. And that quote just affected me so much that I stopped thinking about so much what would happen and worrying about what would happen that I actually just went and started doing. Um, and once you start doing, then um, it's just, it comes to you so much easier. Um, I think a lot of people just don't get started because they, they overplan. They go to, you know, they read all the books, they go to all the seminars, they plan for years, but then they never actually take that first step because there's a lack of belief in themselves. So it's just a matter of investing in yourself and believing in yourself, and that's what propels you forward. And for novice writers listening to you speak today, what guidance do you have for them to continue developing their skills? Because they obviously have way more access to online sources compared to when you and I started out. Oh, yeah. Um, I would say a, a lot of people are so concerned about what other people think. In, invite the criticism. Um, capitalize on it. Strengthen your argument um, with research. You know, and just don't be so cemented in absolutes of your thoughts that you don't learn. Um, learning is just essential. Always be open to what someone else is saying, um, and that's where you're going to find your story.
And for fun, Kelly, what is the most fearless thing that you've done in the, in the last year? <laughs> in the last year? Um, oh, this question would have been so much more exciting if I had been a teenager. Um, I would have to say just embarking on my journey that I'm doing now. I mean, doing the podcast, I'm an introvert, so that was pretty huge for me in itself. Um, and I, and I'm, that's something I'm really proud of, and it's something that's so out of my character that I'm proud to have it. I have to say, you have a beautiful voice. I am surprised that you claim that you're an introvert. By any chance, do you <laughs> sing, Kelly? You know, I did. Um, in school, I was, you know, I was in choir. I did everything I was supposed to. I was a good girl. And as we wrap things up, what is the next project that audiences should look forward to? Oh, definitely um, my next book. And um, I do plan on uh, keep bringing hosts uh, and uh, guests into um, the podcast. I'm, I'm looking to reach celebrity status. So, yeah, definitely be on the lookout. Lookout world. I did have a question. On, there's a YouTube video. Is that Jerry Springer by any chance? <laughs> it is Jerry Springer. Okay, because I'm looking at him, I'm going, I could have sworn that's Jerry Springer. How cool is that? <laughs> yes, I thought it was really cool, too. Um, I saw the humor in it. Wow. Just, I remember his shows by the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about entertainment. I loved it. You know, he said I had good character because I was never on a show. I about died. <laughs> <laughs> and how can audiences reach you, Kelly? I am all over the place. Um, my, my website is there, which has all my social media, and that's at musingaroundlv.com. Um, and that has all my links and email and everything. Thank you, Kelly. I enjoy reading your humor, and we look forward to checking out everyone. Go to Playing Devil's Advocate on PlayingDA.com. Thank you. Um, thank you so much for having me. It was a riot.